After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BeHereNow. Welcome to the Krishna Das Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishna Das shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishna Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. The first thing to understand about spiritual practice is that it's not instant gratification. It takes a while to ripen ourselves. It's really like a ripening process. You do the practices, you expose yourself to the teachings, you do your best to understand what direction you're supposed to be going in, and you live your life. You be who you are. The whole idea of spiritual practice is become who you are, not something else. Everything we need is already within us. We have to unlock that door. All practices pretty much work the same way no matter how they look. Ultimately, the mind has to quiet down, and we have to develop the ability to let go of our thoughts and to practice identifying with something other than the fleeting thoughts that come and go all the time, which is all we've been doing our whole lives. So it's not so easy. 
very radical idea, actually. have to get used to hanging out in space and uh, allowing the thoughts to just pass through without grabbing them and or being grabbed by them so intensely. Our whole lives have been like that from day one, if not before. So to train ourselves to uh, develop a new way of thinking about who we are and where we're going is, is a big deal. It's a very big deal and it takes time. Definitely takes time. Spontaneous enlightenment takes millions of births to happen. Anyway, let's take some questions because I don't have anything to say. You have to program me. You pick, okay? When you see the hand go up, you pick. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a question for a friend of mine who's a big fan who's having a baby soon. What lullaby would you sing when newborn? Go back to where you came from. <laughs> <laughs> Not yours, a different one. <laughs> I used to sing Mr. Tambourine Man to Janaki, so. I don't know. Something that puts the baby to sleep. Anything that works is a good. Where's Wendy Korn? Wendy, where are you? Hi. Your cousin says hi. Tell him I did it, okay? <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, whatever works for the baby. They don't know what it's going to be. Nirvana might put some babies to sleep. You never know. It probably has a lot to do with the mother and what, what she what calms her down to. You know, the baby gets that vibe. It's a beautiful song. Uh, there was a great, <clears throat> you know what the sarangi is? It's an Indian instrument. It's played with a bow, but instead of using the, your fingers like this on, on the top of the strings, you play it by pushing up with your nails underneath the strings. It's so difficult to play. But I became friends with one of the greatest sarangi players of the last generation. and I heard this one song on a CD of his, and I, I had no idea what it, what it meant, right? It's in, it was in... Uh, I don't, I don't remember what language, some dialect of Hindi. And I was singing it over and over and over and over again, just trying to figure out the words. And when I finally met him, I asked him what it was. He said it was a lullaby. <laughs> I 
So one day, he gave a little concert at uh, Eddie Stern's had a yoga studio in New York at one point. And there were like 20 people there sitting on the floor around this guy who was one of the greatest musicians in the universe, right? And 20 people showed up. And so he did his classical thing, right? And I was sitting over there. Then he turned to me, and he sang the lullaby to me. I was just weeping. It was too beautiful, you know. Ah, oh, so beautiful. Lullaby and good night. Huh? Could I what? I'll, uh, yeah, we'll put the name of it up there. I don't know. Uh, you could, yeah, and where, what CD is on. It's too beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering uh, about the harmonium, that beautiful instrument. And uh, I, I usually I, I play I have a music studio. Hold on, something's work, not working with the mic. In some of your um, writings, uh, you um, had written uh, how when you met Baba Nimkaroli, he used to jow people, you know, the, he used to say go. And um, so one I know, so he, he used to go, and probably because of the fear that he would jow him, he, he would start singing, um, the uh, singing, and then then he would not be jowed so quickly, you know. So was that your um, experience too, where you uh, singing, Maharaj used to say, my mantra is, go away. <laughs> Jow means go away. It's the people who come, they go, Jow. Good, you've come, good, now go. Because he didn't need to see you, you know. And if he didn't need to see you, you got there, and then he saw you, and then you had to go away. So he didn't allow people to really spend a lot of time with him, most people. Um, every once in a while, he'd let people come for a few days to the temple. One time... <clears throat> One of his old devotees brought a friend of his, and they were sitting in front of Maharaji, and Maharaji says to the guy, why did you come? You, you, your guru has that ashram, and there's so much going on there, kirtan and bhajan and everything. Why would you come here? And the guy said, well, I just came to see what you do here. And Maharaji said, oh, here is just al cow jow. <laughs> come, eat, go. That's what it was like. There was no nothing. There was no spiritual teaching. There were no practices being done. It was, he, he said, when you come here to this place, you should feel like you're going to your grandfather's house. Everything's given to you. Relax. Take it easy. You don't have to do anything. And that's the way it, it, it was at that time with him. So we were very nourished by that. Our hearts were very warmed by that. Because it, he accepted us as we are. He didn't need us to be different in any way. It was very uh, hard to accept that, you know, because of the way we judge ourselves so much. How could this guy love me when I'm such a, a screw-up, you know? Well, he didn't see us that way. And so we wanted to be 
we wanted to learn to see ourselves as he saw us. And that's the whole practice, because he saw us as God. He saw the divine in us. We don't see that in ourselves. And so, and of course, we, we wanted to spend as much time with him as possible. So soon we figured out that he likes to hear chanting. So we would start chanting, and then he wouldn't send us away, just like he said. We thought we were so smart. But of course, he was orchestrating the whole drama. <clears throat> One time we, uh, we brought all this. We were going to do the first official worship ceremony, a puja of Maharaji for the, that the Westerners had ever done, right? We, we were this group of Westerners in India, and we thought, this is it. We're gonna, we got all the special plates and the little lamps, the ghee lamps and the flowers and the sweets and all the stuff, you know? And we, we're waiting outside the door for him to come out to kind of surprise him. Later on, the, some of his devotees who were in, inside with him told us uh, Maharaji was sitting inside telling them everything we had out there <laughs> and what we were going to do and when we were going to do it and all that. You know. So to live in that kind of uh, atmosphere where everything is known about you, about everybody, about everything else is quite extraordinary. Half the time you want to run away and hide, as if there was a place you could hide. And the rest of the time, you, you can't get close enough. You can't, you can't, there's no way you can let enough of that in. So, he told us to sing, he told us to re repeat the name. And he said over and over, Ram Nam Karnase Sapura Hojata. In Hindi, means from repeating these names, these divine names, these names of God, everything is made full and complete. Everything is brought to fullness and completion. He said this over and over and over. Do I believe it? I don't know. It's only been 50 years. I'm working on it. Really, it's very... Uh, <clears throat> very difficult. You see those waves on the ocean, right? They just keep coming. You can't stop them. They just keep coming. Maybe there's some storm out there, way out on the ocean, and that causes all these waves. And you're just sitting on the beach, and it's wave after wave after wave after wave. So we have to learn how do we deal with these waves how do we how do we let them come without getting wiped out every time we get hit with a wave a wave of thought a wave of emotion a wave of some difficult thing that happens to us in life how do we survive all that how do our hearts survive all that how do we keep those hearts open and aware and present and available Only one way, through some kind of practice. And a practice means something you do for no other reason. If I was singing 
to uh, get you to get you off, then it wouldn't be my practice. But I'm singing as a practice, so it's it's an internal thing for me. When you sit down to meditate or to do your practices, the one motivation that should be there is that you stay present and you recognize that you're doing this for yourself. Over time, the way you see yourself will change as a result of the practice. Over time, you'll start to recognize that you're not really that different than anybody else, that everybody has the same stuff and wants the same things. And so you learn that when you feed yourself, you feed others. And when you feed others, you feed yourself. This is something you don't have to think about, but it's something that's going to happen as time goes on. It has to, because that's the way it is. And as soon as we get more in touch with the way things really are, uh, the better it'll be. <laughs> the happier we'll be. Yeah? How's your relationship changed uh, with your guru now? <clears throat> I, mean, I guess in a different relationship that you're having that he's not in a physical form. He's not? Well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Um, I, I he's somewhere. He's just not showing me where he is. And has it strengthened? Hmm? Has it strengthened? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, when I was with him in the old days in India, you know, I got very attached to his body, to being with him physically, as if he was a guy like me, you know. And he let that happen. That was part of the process. But then when he left the body or disappeared from the stage, then I had to find that I had to recognize first that I had to let go of that attachment and find that inside of me. Because it wasn't the body that I was in love with, it was the love that I was in love with. And the love didn't go anywhere. The body did, but the love was still here. But in order to find it, I had to go into my own heart and, and uh, deal with my issues, the things that were closing me down. Because that's what closed me down. And uh, it was very difficult for me to do that. I mean, I was born on Long Island. Actually, in Manhattan, but I grew up on Long Island. Nobody loves themselves on Long Island. <laughs> so how was I going to figure that out, right? <laughs> so... Yeah, this kind of love is not emotional. It's more like presence and, and, and loving presence or loving awareness, like Ramdas says. And it's always here because we're always here. And it couldn't be anywhere else because it lives within us as who we are, not something else. Our own presence, our own true self, could never be anywhere else but where we are. But we're looking everywhere else all the time.
How does one choose a mantra? One does not. <laughs> Next. <laughs> mantras, uh, you know, it all depends. You know, there are some mantras that, or some traditions where a mantra is given to you by your teacher or your, your guru, and you're initiated in that lineage with that mantra, and you're asked to do that mantra X number of times. Nobody ever did that to me, so I don't do it to anybody else. We just sing. You got a mantra you like, do it. If the next day you like another one, do it. You have to find your own way into it, you know, unless you, and if your way is to become initiated by somebody and do that mantra, well, you can try that. But you have to be honest with yourself about these things, you know. It, it's like a romantic thing. I got my mantra now. Everything's going to be cool. And then you, get, you run through a stop sign because you were doing your mantra. <laughs> and you lose your license. And then your job. And then your wife and kids leave you. All because you were doing your mantra. So, you know, be happy. Do what you like. And then there's also something to be said for the discipline of trying to pay attention to something, which is a good thing. I mean, just because like one day, oh, Sri Ram Jai Ram is making you feel good and the next day it's empty, doesn't mean that's a reason to stop doing it. It means that you're still attached to those experiences rather than the mantra. The mantra is deeper than any experience you'll ever have in your mind or in your emotions. So it's Part of the practice is to keep going with, with one mantra, if that works for you. Otherwise, I mean, at sooner or later, you'll find a mantra, or you'll pick one mantra, or someone will give you a mantra that you'll do for a period of time to see how it works. It's an experiment, you know? And you're, you're the experimenter, and you're also the one uh, evaluating the experiment. So it's up to you to, to figure out the best way to work with these, with these different practices. Not just mantras, all the practices. Eventually, we have to develop the ability to pay attention to whatever we're doing. That's very hard. Right now, I doubt that there are many people in this room who count backwards from 10 to 1 without forgetting what they're doing. It's that difficult. But until we can do something like that, we're just, gonna, we're just lost. How do we get found? All these practices are a way to help us get found. And we have to follow our hearts about how to do this stuff and what to do. And if your heart tells you to follow what somebody tells you, then you do that until your heart tells you not to do that. You're the one. You're the, you're the one who has to live through it all. So you have to figure out the way to do that. That's the good news and the bad news. My guru never told me to do anything except go away. You know? He left it to me to figure out what, what I had to do in life. 
or so it looks like to me, right? From my point of view, that's what it looks like. And so when I was really, really depressed and having a very hard time, <clears throat> all of a sudden I, I recognized that I needed to start chanting with people. And that if I didn't do that, I would never clean out the dark corners and the shadows of my own heart. And this was the only way I had to do it at that. And uh, so I had to do it or it wasn't going to happen. So that's why we're here. Yeah. Um, Hi. Hi. You can sit uh, down. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, thank you very much for sharing your energy and love with us. And I just have a question. Besides chanting, how you recharge yourself? Um, chanting is the, the practice I do the most, but I do other practices as well. You know, I do different types of meditation, pranayama, asanas, all that stuff. It all helps. Sleeping helps. I'm not one of those people who gets up at four in the goddamn morning. I'm up at four in the morning because I just finished singing and I'm just hanging around. How can I get, wake up if I'm already up? So I just, you know, I try to follow what my body tells me, and mostly it says, go to sleep, go to sleep, get a lot of sleep, take it easy. And exercise is good, you know, all that stuff. <clears throat> I hope it's not too late, that's all I can tell you. You never know. I got to keep up with my grandson. Ten minutes with him and I'm ready to go to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, somebody back there. Your love affair with plaid. <laughs> you know, I. if I tell you the truth, you won't believe me. I will, I promise. <clears throat> See, Maharaji told me to wear red. So for years, I wore black. <laughs> I wanted to be the hell's angel of Kirtan. So when I got over that, I started wearing red t-shirts. And then I wanted to wear some red on the outside too, but I didn't, you know, a red shirt. You look like a waiter from some restaurant or something. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll wear this shirt. First it was a yellow plaid shirt. I, and then it was a red plaid shirt. And then it's been red plaid shirts mostly. I don't know. You got to wear something. Fond of your plaid shirt because I, it also reminds me of the blankets that you wore. Yeah. So uh, that's what I mean. I had no, it never, believe it or not, it never occurred to me that the plaid shirt was like the plaid blanket. If it did, I probably wouldn't have worn it. You know, who am I to wear plaid? What was that movie, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid or something like that? <clears throat> So it never occurred to me. That's how bright I am. <laughs> and aware. Do, uh, do the dark spaces that you first sought to avoid come back when you don't practice? Or have they changed and evolved? Why should they only come back when I don't practice? 
Why would they? Why would they be so kind as to do that? Only that? No, they keep coming up all the time. Right now, you know. There's no avoiding your karmas, you know. The way it, the thing is, how do you live with them? You you can't avoid negative stuff. If you try to push stuff away, it it doesn't go away. <clears throat> you have to figure out how to live, regardless of how you feel about it. Because how you feel about it ultimately isn't that important. Except that we're trained to think that how we feel about something is the number one most important thing in the universe. Right? Not what you feel, but what I feel about it. And if I don't feel this way about it, then something's right or wrong, or blah, blah, blah. After a while, the whole... The fact that you're the center of the whole universe starts to uh, crumble, you know, because you're not, you know. We just think we are. So eventually you, you get this, um, like an inner, uh, an inner sense of balance without thinking about it. And when you're going through darker things, it's not quite as dark. It just, and it doesn't last as long. It may hurt just as much. But it won't last as long because of the time you put in planting these seeds of practice. If you don't plant these seeds of paying attention, of doing your practice as wholeheartedly as you can, then you never, uh, you never develop a way to let those waves just come over you. You're always fighting them out of fear or, or the desire to push the unhappiness away or the sadness away. After a while, you just let them come and then you let them go. That comes with a little practice all the time. There's no guarantees then. There was one great Buddhist teacher who just wrote a book, Not for Happiness. That's the title of his book. And the idea is that you think you're a Buddhist, you think you're doing practice, you're, it's not for happiness. Because happiness, in, in this sense, is a self-centered kind of feeling that revolves around me. Me, 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 me. And over time, that me starts to crumble that sense that we're the whole center of the universe and everything I think, feel, see, or want is the number one most important thing. You know, it's hard to break that habit. And it can't be broken here. It has to be cultivated by... It, it, it's weakened by what we cultivate in our own hearts over time. And a lot of therapy. You know, you do what you can. You do what you need to do to get through the day. Sometimes you just need to talk to somebody and get another perspective on things. Uh, sometimes you don't. There's no rules like you can do this, you can't do that. I'm a yogi, I, I can't see a therapist. It's not yogic. Well, your therapist is probably doing more meditation than you'll ever do. Because they have to be straight and clear. So whatever you have to do to work your life into a situation that's good for you, 
you should do. That's the way I look at it. Why not? Why make yourself suffer because you have ideas about things that it shouldn't be this way. I can't do this. I can't do that. I have to go through it this way. No. It doesn't work for me. Okay? Hello. Hi. So, without the guru, you've had the practice and you've had the guru. And so it seems to me that so much of your faith, when I, when I read and I hear you speak, so much of your faith came from the initial contact with the guru. And then here we have no guru, I have no guru, so I have the practice. But maybe not the faith so much without the guru. It's the faith and the understanding that you don't have. Guru, God, and self are the same. Not different. The guru wasn't that body that died. I needed that in order to have the faith to go on. And I got it. But I also had to suffer terribly when I lost that. You don't want to have to go through that. So, you're lucky. All you have to do is look in the mirror. There's the guru looking at you. Guru is not outside. Guru is your own true nature. Guru is what's looking out of your eyes right now. What's aware of your thoughts right now. That's the guru. Consciousness, presence, being. But we, we identify with the physical body, so we think guru must be a physical body. I need that. Get over it. And when you get over it, you'll be enlightened. <laughs> so there's no sense waiting for a guru. A guru is not outside of you. But because we think we're the body and the thoughts, we think that a guru, that's what a guru is too. Not a guru. A teacher might be, but not a guru. Guru is no different than your own true self. And you're never without that. And you're never without your guru. There's also a being in your lineage, in your karma, that's always been with you and always be with you. Could not be. You don't know that now, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Mike? Thanks. Would you say that the knowing then comes in the practice? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Words don't really, it's so hard, you know, because I, I say something and you hear it, but it, it doesn't make it blossom in your mind. It doesn't make it flower in your mind, you know. But guru is not outside. Guru is always there because you're here. It's that your true nature, which you don't know at this point, which you're not aware of. When you become aware of that, you'll become aware of Guru as well. Uh, and that longing you have to find the answer to this question is the Guru pulling you towards himself, 
or herself. But we, we don't see that. But that doesn't mean it's not true. We don't see a lot of things. We don't see molecules, but they're supposedly there. There's a lot of things we don't see. We don't see energy. Well, some people see energy. <laughs> but, you know, that doesn't mean it's not there. It's a lot of things we take absolutely with, without which we wouldn't be able to take one step, but we don't really know if it's there. You know? So this is more of that, but deeper. When I, after Maharaji died, I went running around looking for him in the jungles because somebody said they saw him somewhere after he died. And I would say to these Babas, Baba, you know, I'm looking for my guru. They look at me. Your guru is looking out of your eyes right now. What's wrong with you? Get out of here. That's the hard part because we don't love ourselves. How could we be guru? We're just totally neurotic, screwed up people. How could we be a guru? Well, find out who's thinking that. You'll meet the guru. We're just identified with our thoughts and with our physical and our emotions. As we do practice, we identify with those things less and less, and we identify with what's deeper than all that. So it's okay to, to worship a picture of a guru because that's a mirror of what's in there. It's not out there. Even the so-called gods and the avatars, where are they now? The bodies are gone, but we're still singing their names. We're still getting some benefit from thinking about them and reading about their stories and following the path that they, they laid out for us. But physically, they're not here. Are we out of our minds? I hope so. <laughs> There's a lot of things we do that have nothing to do with physical reality, but we do it anyway. And guru is one of those things. There's nowhere you could be where the guru, where your guru would not be there as well. It's just the way it is. Whether we're aware of that or not, well, that's our work. That's our practice. That's what our lives are about. Trying to find that place of love. Guru is love. Nothing else. Hi. Hi. Somebody I was talking to on the way in, and you know your own personal history and. So many authors say that really for your heart to break open, you have to surrender. And usually it comes through suffering. Um, you know, hitting rock bottom, just you know, getting down on your knees. Could you talk about that a little bit? I mean, does it really have to be so <clears throat> dramatic in that sense? No. <laughs> but good luck. You know, suffering is misunderstood. You know, Buddhist, Buddha, all Buddha said was, hey, every, there's always going to be suffering. 
in this world. But he also said there's a path to beyond that, you know, or to deal with that in a way to relieve suffering. Usually, if we're, unless we're forced, we're not going to break our own habits, our old habits. The desire to be comfortable and have an easy life and not have any pain, you know, that's uh, unreasonable, to say the least. Who, is, who do you know that, that's never suffered? It's just part of life. How do we deal with that, you know? If you try to imagine that it's not going to be there, you know, it doesn't really work. You have to, you have to be with it. If you don't want to use the word surrender, just be with it. You, know? you don't surrender anyway. You just recognize what is. You know, surrender is, is the whole goal of the path is to, is to be able to lay your ego down, to, to just give it up. You can't. You can't just. You, you go like this, and, and then it comes back. You know, when you it's a, uh, 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 uh. Yeah. surrender happens by grace when you're ripe. So we have to ripen ourselves through practice and through understanding what this is about in here, and we have to recognize that that until we do that, there'll always be suffering. There'll always be discomfort, and then eventually there won't be another breath. And yet, do we really live with that awareness? No, no we think we're going to live forever. We're making plans for the next 50 years. And we have no idea if we'll be here, but still we act as if we will. That's kind of delusional, to say the least. But... Um, The great saints have overcome that suffering. They, they, they've incorporated that completely. They've, they've embraced it. And it, it's, not, uh, it's no longer problematic the way it is for us who are trying to step only in the soft places and, you know, and try to avoid that and hold on to pleasures. You can't. Everything changes. You get something that feels good, sooner or later it goes away. Something that feels bad, sooner or later it goes away. So it's just reality, you know. And inside of that, you have to live your life and do plant the seeds that will bring the fruit that you want in life. If we keep running away from stuff, how will we stop? We'll keep running. We have to learn it. We have to turn and face some of these things head on. And it takes courage. One time I was with Maharaji in this apartment building in, in Bombay, in Mumbai. And he'd been lying on this bed. He used to just lay around all the time here. He was lying this way, then he lying this way, then he lying this way. And then all of a sudden, he's, after like a couple hours, he sits up and he looks at me. Courage is a really big thing. And then he lays down again. And I'm thinking, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know? And then 
this Indian guy that was there said, oh, Baba, but God takes care of his devotees. He shot him a look, and then he looked at me again. He said, courage is a really big thing. <laughs> you know, there have been times when I had just a vague memory of that, and that was enough to just get me through the day. Courage is hard. It's hard. Face those things inside of us. Face all those miserable, selfish, self-centered, greedy, nasty crap that we think all the time about other people, the way we treat ourselves, the way we treat others. Oh, it's horrible. But to have to look at that. If you don't look at it, it will never go away. You just stay in the background. You have to look at that stuff. But how do we get the strength to even look at that stuff? Through practice. Through training ourselves to let go of our thoughts, come back to our breath, come back to the mantra, keep coming back, and get used to the feeling of what it means, how it feels to be here a little bit. And then when some huge wave comes over us, we're still here. Yeah, it feels like shit, but we're still here. And it changes. And then comes and goes. The waves come and they go. You know, there's this famous story of, of this woman named Kisugotami. Whose child had died, young baby had died. And she was catapulted into a totally, a state of total panic and suffering. And she had kind of lost her mind a little bit. And she went around asking people, you know, can you tell me somebody who can bring my baby back to life? This, and finally somebody said, well, we heard about this guy, the Buddha, and he's just in this little village over here. You can go see him. So she goes to see the Buddha carrying her dead baby. And she says, can you bring my baby back to life? And he says, oh, yes. Just do one thing for me. Go to a house and bring me some rice from, from one of the houses in the village. And just make sure that no one in that house had ever died. So she didn't recognize what he said. She goes out to the first house and said, can you just give me a little rice, please? And Oh, has anyone ever died here? Of course. Oh, I can't take it. So finally, at the end of the day, she comes back to the Buddha, having buried her child. And she bows down. And she got the message. There's nowhere in this world that there's not suffering. And until we recognize that, personally, in our own lives, we'll always be trying to avoid it, to run from it. And if we're running from something, there's nowhere to go. So it's better to deal with things than have them deal with you. Because if you don't deal with things, they will deal with you. If you don't find the shadows, the shadows will cover you. And the only way to get the strength to deal with those shadows in our own lives and our own hearts is through practice, through spiritual practice. There's just no other way. 
whatever that means to you, that's what you should do. If, if that's what you want. There's always Netflix. But what happens when the power goes out? Then you're stuck, just you and the clicker, which doesn't work anymore. At that moment, who are you? You know, that's a big moment. When the power goes out, when there's nothing left on TV, and you're just lying there, and your mind's driving you crazy, that's a good moment. That's when you recognize, I better get some stuff together here. Because that moment's going to come for all of us a million times in life. Can't avoid it. I came here to spend time on the beach. I've been here five days. It's been windy and cold and cloudy. I didn't, that's not why I came here. There's always suffering. Where will you go? <clears throat> All right. I took my extra six minutes. So, uh, we'll sing a little. Okay? I remember when I went, first time I went to Yogaville, they told me that uh, when Swami Satchidananda came into the room, from that point on, I had seven minutes to stop. <laughs> right? So, I had just finished one chant, and I wanted to do Namashivaya last, you know. And I saw that Swamiji had just come into the room. So I said, okay, well, uh, we'll do a 20-minute Namashivaya in seven minutes. <laughs> Everybody laughed. He laughed. He said, nah, just sing. It's okay. Now forget everything we talked about. I already did.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.